Hey, everybody. Welcome to Licked and Loaded, a CAM4 podcast. As always, I'm Laura Desiree. And joining me today for an intimate discussion about her incredible career is Chelsea Poe. Now, Chelsea was just awarded the best trans performer at the Why Not Cam Awards in fabulous Los Angeles. And you'll hear in her story today, a message about keeping an honest relationship with yourself, investing in that honesty as it really is the key to success in this business. You know, in a world that's so based on instant gratification, this industry really is about endurance and individuality. And you'll hear all about that. I'm so excited. So please settle in and enjoy today's episode with Chelsea Poe. Today, my gosh, am I lucky. The incredible content creator extraordinaire, the fabulous, the oh-so-talented Chelsea Poe. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me on your podcast. I'm so excited. That's your so- guest list was truly incredible. When I read, like, Stoya, Bruce LaBruce, Jim Norton was on this podcast, which is wild. I know. Like, and 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 it's been, it's been a wild ride. So right. cool. Right. Yeah, well, it's I'm wonderful. So to be here. <laughs> yes, it's such a thrill because you know you are such a celebrated individual, not only for the content that you make, but my goodness, the recognition that you just got at the Why Not Awards. You have been named the best trans cam performer. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's a wild experience to go through in the middle of a pandemic. Like that was my first award show since AVN 2020. So yeah. going to LA and having that whole experience was definitely something different. I've never won an award in person before. I'm yeah. always that person who's in a different city or, you know, wherever else for other work stuff. So it was really cool to experience that. And just truly really like everyone in my life has reached out to me afterwards, like all my family, all my friends, people I went to elementary school with. It's wow. Yeah, a lot more people cared than I thought. So that's kind of been the most rewarding thing about all of this. Wow. And tell us, how was the event itself? I mean, like you said, we haven't been doing live awards shows. So what was it like to arrive? What was it like to interact? Yeah, I mean, everyone had to be vaccinated there. So it felt pretty chill. Um, Yeah, just really great to see everyone again. Um, I'm really good friends with April Flores and mm-hmm. being able to hang out with her again at the camp four table was really great. And yeah, everyone there was just super nice. And yeah, just such a great experience to be in the porn world again. But that was my first camming award show. So it felt very different. A lot of new faces that I'm just like, don't know who it is and but, stuff just because it's definitely a different world than porn. So it was a really good experience to have during the pandemic, though, after well, being I inside think, for yeah. I think a lot of people came into the business during all of this so they haven't had the chance to be out at events and and mix and mingle and introduce themselves in the flesh yeah for sure i feel like it's just changed so much that sex work is just such a more normalized thing now in just our culture because of things like OnlyFans and just i feel like camming has just become such a generic thing kind of during this whole pandemic where before it was still viewed as very risque to be a cam girl and now Mm -hmm. i feel like it's very normalized. 
Yeah, I mean, is there is there any surprise that during a, a world pandemic, people sought out live human interactions? <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, like the first three months, it was amazing yeah. um, doing camming. It's It was really slow for, I would say, probably a good like four months in the middle of the pandemic, but things are starting to pick back up again. And I think such an important thing about camming is just understanding there's going to be ups and downs and kind of going with that and not trying to internalize it too much. Right. So I feel like camming can be one of the harder forms of sex work just mentally because you're, you know, dealing with hundreds of people every day, 95% of them with absolutely no money who want you to do things for free. So um, yeah, I think just during the whole pandemic, just having a strong mental mindset and just having ability to have it go up and down and realizing it's all going to work out it's really really important that's what I feel like really I had to do over the last year yeah there's there's like, I so guess now much, two years but yeah. yeah there's so much wisdom in everything that you just said there because it's these are the lessons you learn once doing it that you know endurance is a major must-have in in yeah. being visible on camera and awaiting those interactions and you know un unknowing how that broadcast is gonna go i mean that's such a it's such a big lesson that you learn in the throes of it but mm -hmm. i want to i want to rewind and go to your origin story if you don't mind okay you us the yeah, beginnings of, of how chelsea poe how you found your way into this industry yeah so i'm originally from this really small town named holland michigan i don't know if you've ever heard of it nope <laughs> so it's hard to explain to people so it's like basically a mini netherlands but it's in the middle of the midwest weird so everywhere it. so like our entire economy is based on a tulip festival everyone there's dutch there's signs in dutch um it, but it's very conservative um you so probably there's know not a red, yeah there's no red light district no there's not so i grew up like being around like very sexually repressed stuff so it wasn't really around and I never really felt the strong connection to being Dutch because that's all that was around me. I just mm. assumed everywhere in America was like that, where I'm like, oh yeah, everyone has these crazy long last names and everyone's van something. So um, when I graduated high school, I think it was 2010 around there. And that was in Michigan when there was like the full recession. So there weren't really jobs. I came out as trans really young. I think I was like 12 or 13. So because it was so conservative, I really didn't have any job opportunities. Um, I was in college, didn't really care about it that much. Um, I played in bands. Um, I was in music. That was like my main thing. And that wasn't really paying money because there's really not much money in the music industry. Mm. So I was just like, okay, I'm interested in some sort of sexuality and stuff. I was really late to porn. Um, like watching it. My girlfriend, when I was, was 15, showed me porn and I was like totally horrified because there was like penises everywhere. And I'm like, this is just too aggressive <laughs> for me. Um, so I never really looked at porn. I didn't masturbate on my own for the first time until I was probably 18. Wow. Yeah. Right. So like very late. Um, and then like when I first started doing that, I'm like, oh, how can I like get involved immediately? That was my first reaction, which I feel like mm -hmm. is not most people's first reaction when they watch porn. Um, so then I was really truly broke in the Midwest, barely any money. So I was just like, okay, 
I want to try camming. My girlfriend at the time wanted to try it too. I was very whatever about it. Um, and then I ended up finding like Sasha Gray and Stoya and like people who are doing things with porn that wasn't really like the whole 90s mm. kind of stereotype of porn that was like alternative people and like people tattoos like Joey and Angel. Mm-hmm. So that's what made me be like, okay, I can do this, but I can also have some artistic elements to it and do all that stuff. And then I found out about people like Jis Lee and um, Courtney Trouble and kind of the whole world of queer porn with Drew DeVoe and Toby Hillmeyer, yeah. where I was like, oh, there's trans women doing this on these terms. So it made me be like, wow, I can do this. So I ended up going, um, I was living on a campus of a college I actually wasn't going to at the time. You know, I was like going to every trans and gay thing around. I was like part of their like LGBT organization. No, it was just like a trans organization, but I wasn't even a student there. Um, just my friends were going to school there. So I ended up meeting Jizzly. They did a screening there. And then I got cast on Crash Cab like three months later. So there was like a year where I was flying back between Michigan and California. And then I ultimately got a job at the kink.com armory as a camp wow. performer. Yeah. So yeah, I worked in that big castle, I think for like seven months when I first moved here. And during that time, I shot my first film, Fucking Mystic with Courtney Trouble and Asia um, Pop. And yeah, that's kind of been ever since. It's just kind of been a nonstop hustle since. I've been camming, I think in like two weeks, it's going to be a decade. So yeah, it's really taken me- yeah, very many places. I've gone to travel the world. I've gone to go to Japan with my films. I've go to Europe a few times a year before the pandemic happened, at least. So it's really been this whole, yeah, kind of whirlwind of just ever since getting here, just really putting the work in and just always kind of making stuff. Yeah, I, I want to, I want to zoom in. I want to mm-hmm. zoom in on how someone doesn't experience solo pleasure seeking masturbation until they're roughly 18 and then makes into this business what goes on in the processing okay so like i would do stuff with like my partners and stuff like so i was like one of those people who dated the same girl from like seventh grade until like junior year Mm -hmm. and like their family was their first year i was trans all that stuff um and like that was like the first person I had sex with, all those sorts of things. So I was like, obviously interested in sex in that way, but I feel like I felt such a disconnect from my body and dysphoria around my body mm. that I was just like, oh, I really don't want to do this. And like most porn just seemed like a thing I really didn't like until I like started watching like Joanne Angel's porn because those are like the girls who I would date and the girls who I look like at the time. Um, like super emo and stuff in like the 2000s that I didn't really even view porn as a thing that was like accessible for me to be like oh yeah I can relate to this Mm. Um, so I always viewed porn as like whatever and like I just never really looked at it Um, but for me it was I think so much of my sexuality was tied up in BDSM Mm. that's like most of the performances I do now I just like didn't understand that was a sexual feeling. Like I always wanted to get like tied up or humiliated and stuff. And I always had these fantasies probably since the time I was like a teen, but I couldn't figure out what it was. You know, I was just like, oh, 
this makes me feel a certain way. I never thought about it as a real thing as sexuality because I'm from such a conservative place. There's really right. not access to stuff like that. Right. Um, like when Lady Gaga first came out, I was just like, oh, there's this like femme who wears all latex and like wears a strap on on stage and stuff. And I was just like, oh, this seems very interesting to me. So I followed her around for like two years going to all of her shows and stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, if it's feeding you and it's leading yeah. you to the life that you want to live, I mean, that's that's the smart, that's the North Star you got to go with, right? We, yeah. We're all looking so, for that in our life. Yeah, so I kind of started like winding down the music when I started realizing that could be a whole nother outlet for me. Um, and yeah, it was just truly us coming out to the SFA area a few times. And that's when kink.com still had their giant castle here. There yeah. were people moving to the Bay for um, porn. It was really the height of like the whole queer porn movement here. So I feel like so much of it's I moved out here at the right time when there was all these opportunities happening. Yeah. And I was still young enough in this industry and not burnt out enough. Right. That I was able to take advantage of this stuff because a lot of the people here were, you know, here for five or six years at this point who huh. went through all this stuff, who went through all the negative things about porn, where I was still very fresh faced and just ready to make anything. And I just sure, want to yeah. create. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I hear from so many folks that that are within the kink community, this very similar story that you in your early, early days of, of discovering your sexuality, mm -hmm. you're confused by what's arousing you, you're maybe a little afraid of what's arousing you because it's not seen as as acceptable. What do we do? How do we how do we, uh, I guess, aid people's journey in that way? Because I think young people, especially you're already dealing with feelings that are kind of new to you arousal and how the body responds to that. But it is so normal to have a, a unique uh, arousal source, a, a unique kink. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there are resets. Um, resources like um, Fat Life is how I found a lot of things, but it was yeah. like just like very awkward situations. Like I went to this, um, the first thing I went to um, it was like this play party. It was very straight. I was just like sitting there and this girlfriend, this girl was sucking her boyfriend's cock and wouldn't break eye contact with me. It was like to a Nickelback song, the photograph song. I'm just like, I don't know if this is for me. So yeah like my first intro to kink in the midwest was very like just very vanilla and stuff um so i think fet life was a really good thing for me but i don't there should probably be better sex education in this country yeah. and other countries like the netherlands has a lot better sex ed so i think that's probably just a united states alone problem it also really i'm is. just from a very conservative place um do you know who betsy devos is no Oh, she was in the Trump administration. She's a very corrupt um, politician. Uh, is she yeah, from she, her? Yeah, she's from my hometown. She has the biggest house there. Wow, everything. there you go. Yeah, she's the most famous person from there. <laughs> wow, so that's the source that's like emanating and radiating all of this evil, that this persuasion. Okay. Oh, Awful. yeah. Yeah, it's Awful. very, um, very conservative. Very <sighs> the exact opposite of the actual Netherlands. So when right. I went there for the first time, um, with my films and stuff and doing screenings. It was like, oh, this is all the stuff I grew up with, but also pro-sex work. Right. There's weed everywhere. Like it it's just a happy opened place. my mind so it's, much where I'm like, Yeah. It's such a yeah, happy where I'm, place. Yeah. And just being able to be like, okay, this is actually my culture. This is who I am. And like realizing that was really important to me just to be able to go there and have all those experiences and 
recognize all this stuff that I grew up with. Yeah. What a major connection. Context. Exactly. Yeah. Right. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. So, yeah. yeah. That's so definitely travel to wherever you're from and it might be full of sex workers and really cool stuff. Chelsea, you, you create for one of the most trending genres in the business. I mean, you hear more and more of the popularity of trans porn and the trans experience being captured Mm -hmm. for films. I'm wondering if you, if you create your content with any feeling of responsibility in how your community is presented and the kinds of sex that is shown in trans porn today. I think early on, yes, because I think I was very, I just feel like the mainstream, like trans porn world is so like about the male gaze and all that stuff. And I'm a giant lesbian. So I've always been like, okay, I want to do the porn I want to do and show it in a way that I would actually want to see in porn because I know there's other trans women who want the same thing. So I think very early on, like with, um, trans girls I was in and trans lesbians like it was very much about being like okay we need to do this the correct way make a space for this or even with my BDSM serious fetish fuck dolls it's me and other trans women subbing which Mm -hmm. at the time when I first got to kink they're like oh no one wants to see trans women sub that's impossible Mm -hmm. so for me that was like just creating that space was really important early in my career but probably the last five years I've kind of just gotten to do whatever I want and it's people are still interested in it. So I think people definitely find representation in my more recent work as well, but I don't think that's my official reasoning. I think it's just that I'm not trying to put it out in a weird way. Like I just want my porn to be like normal. Like I want it to be a normal BDSM thing. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it has an impact as much as we want to say, you know, that this is for entertainment purposes only, which yes, Mm -hmm. that's the intention of this. There's an undeniable influence, especially with people, you know, watching this content as often as they do Mm -hmm. as, as closely as they do. And, and I think that that is, something to take note of is to have that literacy there. Yeah, I think like just being able to do screenings and stuff. Um, I've gotten really lucky to a lot of screenings all across Europe and all that. And just the way they view porn there is so different oh, than the United States. No. That it's just such a great experience to be actually be able to talk to people who are like crying because they're like, your porn has changed my life. And it's yeah. just like really meaningful to have those experiences to know that your work has really helped someone because you're just in the middle of the hustle a lot where it's just like okay I have to get this movie done this person's not responding to my email I hate editing this I can't look at myself anymore <laughs> like that's truly how it is so yeah I think just trying to remember that there is an audience and particularly during the whole pandemic it's been yes. so hard because you're making stuff and you're not leaving your neighborhood but then you see someone from Finland's buying your work or from wherever across the world. So where did that happen for you? That someone came forth crying, saying that your work changed their life. Um, It's happened a few times. It's really, yeah. I mean, all you can say is like, you can't match the energy obviously because I'm like, there's nothing I can say back. I'm just have to be like, I'm so glad my work touched you and really made an impact. But um, that's happened in Berlin. That's happened in New York. Um, yeah, there's been a few places like that. Um, 
And yeah, it's just like a very meaningful thing. And um, also just after this whole word process, um, yeah, just like everyone in my life reached out to me and I had strangers reach out to me talking about how it helped them like start hormones and like just all this really life-changing stuff. So yeah, it's a really big thing. And I don't think you can ever fully understand the impact of it. Mm. Because obviously there's been art that's changed my life, but um, yeah, it's just trying to, take that in and really letting the person share their story and just really being thankful that they're willing to share that. Yeah. Can I ask about the porn that's, or the art, I should say, that's changed your life? Of course, I'm like porn on the brain. Oh, I mean, I, yeah, I fucking love porn. So I like, I'm genuinely, like I have my own podcast called the Performers Podcast and it's just interviewing performers about how they got into porn and all this stuff. I love this industry more than anything. Well, maybe I love this medium more than anything because every country's porn industry is so different. That's something yes. I really learned. But Sasha Gray is like my all-time top. Um, I really love like Princess Donna's work at kink.com. I think that's the best work that happened at kink. Um, yeah, like Joanna Angel's work was really influential. Um, Drew DeVoe, she was the first um, trans woman to do like mainstream lesbian porn. And I think that's so badass that she did that. And like the, it was like maybe the mid 2000, 2009, something like that. Um, and then Toby Hillmeyer totally did, um, started this website called Doing It Ourselves. And it was just all trans women making their own porn. And the aesthetic isn't mine, um, kind of my style, but just that it was so about the whole DIY ethic. And I came from a DIY punk scene and hardcore scene. So it just kind of fit naturally for me to be like, okay, I can just make this myself. I can get my friends together. If anyone wants to shoot, here's where we are. Let's just make stuff together. So I feel like those are probably my biggest influences, mm-hmm. but I'm definitely a product of the whole SF queer porn scene of Crash Pad and Trouble Films and all of that. So so being being from that punk scene itself i mean i would imagine there's influences outside of porn as well so i'd love to know where else you draw inspiration from when you're putting content together yeah um artistically andy warhol is definitely my biggest influence um his like early film work is just so weird and like it's nothing um i got to go to a warhol exhibit um right before the pandemic and just having the experience of being in a theater and people just walking out being like what the hell is this <laughs> i'm like that's what i want to accomplish with my films and just really bring an experimental element to it um i actually had i was really lucky to screen with warhol um in chicago i think five years ago six years ago something wow. like that yeah, a college put it on and they screened my gangbang and an Andy Warhol blowjob thing. And I'm just oh. like, I'm 24 and I'm doing this. And it was wild. Um, but that was probably like one of the coolest things. Um, other than that, like, I think I'm just- and go, I want it to feel like that. I want, I want, I want it to convey this, this kind of a feeling, emotion, aesthetically. Do you, do you, are you drawn to any- I think a lot of it's like really about fonts and that's kind of how I think about a project where I think about the font and then I think about kind of everything behind it, um, which is very weird, I think. But I love it. Um, yeah, definitely the type font has been a big thing and just kind of the way um, Trouble Films works is you just kind of, um, we have four or five different members 
And we basically just go to the company when we have four or five scenes done. And we're like, we want to do a movie. And then we just sit down and design the cover work and figure out all the fonts and everything. And Mm -hmm. I feel like so much of that comes from that, where I just kind of have a loose idea of, oh, I want to reference this or that. And yeah, just kind of going with that. But um, yeah, I think traveling has really influenced me. That's kind of been, I think, the best part of the job that I've gotten to travel so much which has definitely been an adjustment during the pandemic years. Oh, shit. But yeah, but oh my gosh. it's, yeah, it's the camming and the porn still here, even if the travel isn't. So I think just having those things as a constant has really helped during all the craziness of the last few years. So cam-wise, which is how so many people have just really kept themselves busy and productive mm-hmm. during all this, uh, what are your broadcasts like? Like what kinds of... of- things do you do? How often do you broadcast? How long of a stream do you do? Yeah. So I've really had to, um, I was a complete workaholic before the pandemic and then the pandemic happened. I had to figure out work-life balance. Um, yeah, just really figuring out mental health stuff because I feel like I don't have as many distractions anymore of, okay, I have to go to this country. I have to do this. I'm shooting this film. I have to edit this. Um, so I feel like I've really kind of refined it where I can four times a week. Usually I do two hour and a half sessions, take a break in between, um, meditation has been something I really leaned on during, um, the whole pandemic with camming, because I feel like I just need something to almost wipe the slate clean before and after cam session. So you're not bringing any energy from that to the rest of your day. If you're like, oh, I only made $5 today. What am I doing? What What's wrong with me? What's wrong with life? You know, you, you can spiral very fast. Yeah. And I just think like with camming, that's the thing you have to remember. You just have to have a short memory and just not internalize it because yeah, as someone who's been camming for a decade, it's random. There's no rhyme or reason. All you need is one client who's probably going to buy your whole session. Are they going to be on at three o'clock? Maybe. Are they going to be on at four? Could be. If they're not on, that doesn't mean that you're a bad cam performer. It's just kind of what it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Does so, anything, does anything really gnaw at you about it? I mean, we, we have so much control being the person that's running the room and doing what you do, how you do it. But is there something about it that you're like, I need a better relationship with this element of the job? Um, I was working too much before. Um, so before easy to I moved do. Yeah. yeah. Before I moved in with my partner, I was straight up like working six days a week, every single, yeah. I just like never took breaks and stuff. So yeah. Um, right before the pandemic, I started taking weekends off for the first time in years, wow. which was a huge yeah. adjustment for me. Um, and yeah, it's just really winning this award and stuff. When I figured out work-life balance, it's kind of given it a whole different feel to it where I'm like, okay, I figured out all these other things about my life and now this is coming. So it feels a little bit in a healthier spot where I feel like if this would have happened maybe two years ago when I was a complete workaholic, it would only have driven me more into doing more work. So yeah, I think it's at a good place and just, um, yeah, just where I'm at right now, I feel like it's a pretty balanced situation. So yeah. Isn't that amazing the way the universe was like, we're going to award and celebrate and recognize all of this once you have it as healthily and safely packaged for you as possible to do your best. Yeah. After I came out to all my family about it, all that stuff. 
Um, Bless you. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, so it's kind of its own experience. And I think just dealing with so much positivity right now is also kind of a difficult thing. Yeah. Um, we, as a company, Trouble Films, we got nominated for 10 Fleshbot Awards right after oh, it's major. this award. So I was like talking to my mom, talking about the awards on, I think it was Monday after the awards. And then it was getting a text being like, oh yeah, you're nominated for three more things. So it's this whole kind of a lot of positivity right now uh-huh. and a lot of stuff going on after it not going on. So it's a good problem to have, but. So, yeah. the, so, so family, <laughs> family, you have shared with them your life's work. You have brought them into, yeah. to that part of your story. A lot of people, that's the biggest hurdle. And it's, I don't think it's always a necessary one, but for people that do want that transparency with their family to let them know, how on earth do you prepare for that? How do you go about doing that? Um, so the way it kind of happened was one, some of my family knew and they were talking about it mm. online. And then I was like, okay, it was during pride and SF, I think two years ago. And my family is more interested in my life because, um, my family is like pretty poor in the Midwest and like from poverty and stuff. And we deal with all that stuff. So they really haven't had the access to go overseas and everything. And especially to the Netherlands, which my family's all Dutch, just being able to share all those experiences. And then I think some of them kind of figured out what I was doing during mm-hmm. that process. So I was just like, okay, I'm going to completely come out about it and all this stuff. And yeah, all my family was really supportive. Um, and I knew they were supportive about stuff where they'll, see that I'm going here or there and like come on Facebook or reach out or whatever but until this award show I never really kind of got the grasp how much they cared and how much my friends back home cared in Michigan and just kind of everyone so Mm. yeah it's a really kind of strange thing to go through the pandemic and especially leading up to these award shows you're running around doing a million things getting your eyebrows done you're getting (laughs) this thing for under your dress, you're getting the sticky boob thing. You're like doing all the stuff. So yeah, just have the outpouring of support afterwards. It's like, oh, wow, people actually care where, um, yeah, when you're in the middle of it, it just feels like you're in your grind, you're doing your work. So that's definitely been the most rewarding thing in the last few weeks. That's really taken me aback and being like, oh, wow, I've never had this many people reach out to me in my life about positive things before. So well, just to to almost bridge that duality in the life of so many sex workers. I mean, that's just how you go about it, whether it's for the mental protection or whether it's for the actual physical protection of yeah. yourself. There's that duality. And you've found a way to, you know, to bridge them. And that's a beautiful thing. It's not for everyone, but it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like it's just been a very, yeah, very lucky situation, kind of how it's played out. And Absolutely. especially early on, it was just so much. Um, yeah, when I first started camping, it was definitely a survival thing. So mm-hmm. that's now become all these other things and has kind of launched my porn career. I don't think I would be as good of a porn performer if it wasn't for camming. I really view camming as like almost a daily practice of porn. It's just like on porn sets where you're going to have you know, drama that's going to happen and you're going to have to be able to perform. It's kind of the same on cam where you might be dealing with someone who's flashing out at you or Mm -hmm. trying to demand free things and you have to handle that, manage that, get over that. And then if you have a client come in, 
and you do a session, you have to be able to perform. So I feel like there's a lot of connections between porn and that where on a porn set, the director might be late. There Ah. might be a lighting problem. You might be shooting at 2 a.m. It might be hot. So that's interesting to, yeah, to draw that connection in itself, right, is how they each lend to each other. Because not Mm -hmm. every porn performer cams and vice versa. Yeah, definitely not. And I don't think camming is definitely for everyone. It's, I think, truly one of the most mentally exhausting forms of sex work. Obviously, there's more safety than doing like in-person sex work or, um, yeah, people who do escorting and all that. But um, yeah, I think mentally it can really get to you and really get you down, especially after a few like slow weeks in a row where you're just like, what am I doing? Should I get another job? Like, it's just all those things come up, you know, because you have nothing but time to think when it's slow on cam, I feel like. So yeah, I think trying to um, have perspective and just overall mental context is so important. I've gotten really into sports psychology during this. Mm. Um, I feel like so many of the connections between trying to perform as an athlete and a porn performer just totally fit because ultimately you're making your money using your body and being able to perform at a really high level, you know? A lot of athletes don't blow their load before a big game, right? They like to hold on. I I hear that. (laughs) (laughs) So for people that are new to the business and, you know, uh, getting on cams for the first time Mm -hmm. in their life, I mean, this is a cam for podcast and there are a lot of folks that are new to it. How do you alert yourself? How are you on the, that level of awareness to say, you know what? I've reached a point where I need to take a break. I'm approaching burnout. Uh, I'm starting to fall out of love with this industry when that might not be the final, uh, I guess, stamp on the relationship that someone has with camming. They're just burnt out. Yeah, I think you need to worry about your mental health first and foremost. Um, like this industry is truly a marathon. Mm. Like burning yourself out in your first few years isn't going to lead you anywhere other than another job. If you want to be in this industry, you really have to manage that and really get resources to work on that. And I think that's so good that sites like Camp 4 and all these other campsites are now offering more mental health mm-hmm. resources for performers. Because truly, like, it's a really mentally demanding job. Mm-hmm. But my biggest thing is don't get down on yourself if you have a bad week or bad day it's going to happen. It's part of camming. Yeah. Like you can't internalize it. Just have a memory of a goldfish essentially. Um, yeah. Just be like, okay, well that day didn't work. I'm going to get on tomorrow or whatever other day, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Just don't be too hard on yourself. I love all that, Chelsea. You're so wonderful and inspiring to chat with. My goodness, this has been an absolute treat. Thank you for making time today and yeah, joining thank us. thank you so much. And how can everyone get in touch with you and, and find your content and learn all about you? Yeah, you can listen to my podcast on Spotify, Apple Pod, um, kind of all the other ones. Um, it's called The Performers Pod with Chelsea Poe. I interview performers. Um, it's like long form conversations, a little bit like this, just about how people get into porn, everything from really heavy things like consent onset and like all that heavy stuff to really light things and things that aren't even about porn. Um, Raquel Roper and I talked about F1 for like 20 minutes. So it can really be anything and um, kind of everything about this industry that I think is so special and yeah, that there's just so much around the world. You can find me on Twitter. It's um, Chelsea Poe 666. 
You can find me on Instagram. It's at fake Chelsea Poe. And yeah, I think those are the only good social media ones. Oh, you can also join my website, Chelsea Submits. It's entirely um, transmissive BDSM, which is definitely my jam. It's hot stuff, people. Let me tell you. (laughs) Check it out. Chelsea, thank you so, so very much for today. I hope all of you watching and listening, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Licked and Loaded, a CAM4 podcast. We'll catch you back here next time. I'm Laura Desiree. See ya. Bye. This has been a CAM4 radio production. Come say hi at www.cam4radio.com.